0: Parshas Akiv close to Hashem. In this week's Sedra, we find a fundamental Torah command, the mitzvah Sedeo of Ubo Tidbak, you should cling to Hashem. Now, if we attempt to explain it figuratively, we understand immediately that it means that there is a mitzvah to cling to Hashem by means of thinking about Him, to cling to Him intellectually. If you're thinking about Hashem always, there's a certain closeness that you will achieve by means of that. And therefore, that certainly is a true paidish of Ubo Tidbak. Of course, it takes some practice. It takes a great deal of practice. Good things, big achievements, do not come easy. But it's an obligation of each one of us. The mitzvah of Ubo Tidbak obligates the Jew to develop a mindset, a frame of mind, where he is clinging to HaKadosh by means of his constant awareness of Hashem. Now, if the tape doesn't run out, I'd like to talk to you at length about how to achieve that, about how to become someone who clings to Hashem by means of the mind. But first, I would like to say that this explanation of the veikis, Clinging by means of thinking is the more abstract explanation of this mitzvah. And as valuable as this is, it is not enough, however. Because the Chachamim came along and they told us a more concrete application of Ubo Tidbak. You should cling to Hashem. The Chachamim say it means to cling to Hashem physically. So right away we flinch at such an idea. To be close to Him physically, such a thing is impossible. How is it possible to fulfill such a precept? Is it possible for a man of flesh and blood to cling to Hashem? And so the sages explain as follows. How do you physically cling to the v'talmideihem By clinging to the Chachamim and to their disciples. That's the way to fulfill the command of clinging to Hashem. Now that to us seems like it's veering away from the intention of the Pasuk. It seems like a whitewashing of the Torah's intent. Because here the Torah is telling us that the mitzvah is to cling to Hashem and the Gemara comes along and says something else altogether. That it means to cling to the sages. That merely by keeping geographically close to the chachamim, to the yeshiva men. That's already a fulfillment of Ubo of clinging to Hashem. Now, how is that so? And so, I want to quote for you an important idea from the Kuzari. When he speaks about this matter, he notes a queer thing. When the Torah describes how the Jewish farmer brings his Bikurim, first fruit offerings, to the base HaMikdash, so it says that when he hands the basket to the Kohen, he makes a declaration. I declare today to Hashem your God. But the Guzari says that it's a queer way of talking. I declare to Hashem, your God. The farmer, a firm farmer, dissociates himself from Hashem and says that it's only the Kohen's Hashem, your God. What kind of expression is that? A similar thing we find by Shaul HaMelech. Shaul is talking to Shmuel HaNavi and he says, I have brought these, he is talking about certain animals, cattle, as an offering La Hashem Elkecha. Again, your God, but it shows God too. Why does he say your God, Shmuel's God? And the Kuzari explains that it is meant literally. It is the Kohen's Hashem and it is Shmuel's Hashem because the Shekhinah rests on the Kohen and on the Navi more than on anyone else. The closer a person is to Hashem, the more the Shekhinah is with him. And therefore, the one who is more aware of Hashem the one who is oisik batoid Hashem, and walks in the ways of Hashem, so Hashem is especially close to him. It means physically close, Kaviaho. And that's why you can say Elokecha when you talk to great men. It certainly is Elokai. Absolutely, it's my God too. But we cannot ignore the fundamental truth that it is more Elokecha, it's your God, even more, because he is with you. He is especially close to you. Now we have to think about that for more than a mere moment, because the Kuzari has just told us a gem. He taught us now an entirely new attitude that we should have when we come close to Chachamim. Let's say you would come to a great man. We'll pick as an example, let's say the Satmar Rav Zichron El who recently passed away. If somebody would come to him, he had to feel that he was coming to Hashem. Not merely as a form of respect because this man is a gadol or that man represents a very great number of people who are influenced by him. That too. But it's much more than that. Hashem is with that man much more than he is with you. And so, as you come near him, you are approaching the Shekhinah. That is how a person has to feel. So you'll say, the Shekhinah? The Shekhinah actually rests on him. It's only a muscle." No, we're learning now that actually the Shekhinah rests on the Chachmei HaTorah. Of course, that needs training. We must free ourselves from the dust and the gasoline fumes of the street. And we have to start viewing the Chachamim in the light of the Torah. And included in that is the attitude, the Hargasha, that when you come to the Chacham, you are actually approaching Hashem. And therefore, it's not a play on words, a cop-out, or a twisting of the Torah's intention, with the words, "ubo this is actually a fulfillment of the mitzvah of being close to Hashem, to cling to the Chachamim and to their disciples. The truth is, it's such a great thing, that in a certain sense, it's even more important than learning from the Chachamim. That's why when they introduced Elisha Hanavi, and they wanted to say his yichus, who he was, so it says, Po Elisha ben Shafat, here is Elisha, Asher Shafakh Maim al Eliyahu, who poured water on Eliyahu's hands. Lamad lo It doesn't say he learned from him. Ella Shafakh Maim, only that he poured water on his hands. The plain meaning is that Elisha was present when Eliyahu had to wash his hands. So Elisha took the can of water and poured it on his Rebbe's hands. That's our introduction to Elisha. Now that's a stunning statement, almost not understandable at all. It could have said, "Here is Elisha who learned from Eliyahu. Eliyahu had a school of Bnei Hanaviim, and he brought up Elisha in the Darke Hanavua. He taught him everything." But no, that's not mentioned at all. All the secrets of the Torah, all the Darke Hashem, everything else that was taught in that great academy of Navua, nothing is mentioned. The only thing that deserves mention is that Elisha poured water on the hands of Eliyahu Anavi, And the Gemara says that we learn from there that gadol shimusha yoter milimuda, that serving the Chacham, being in his proximity, that's greater than learning from him. Now don't go off into long explanations about how shimush means learning more deeply. It does too. We're not excluding that. But the Pashtus of the Gemara means what it says to be physically close. The physical closeness to Eliyahu was such a great merit that it's like being close to Hashem, even more than the closeness by learning the Torah. Of course, many other benefits can be gained by such a career. If a person is, mishamish there's no question he becomes different because of that. But that's not the subject now. What we're learning now is that we cling to the sages not because of any benefit that we get from them. Not because we learn from their deeds. We cling to the Chachamim because they represent HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That is the closest you can physically come to Hashem in this world by coming close to the Chachamim. Now, you should know that we are not learning something that is a utopian ideal. Something that if one day you'll become a tzaddik and a Kadosh, that you'll think of doing it. No, we are talking now about a practical Padesh, on the command of the Torah, which means that it's obligatory on all Jews now. And that's why the Gemara doesn't let this remain abstract. It gives us concrete examples of how this is carried out in practice. Let's say you're looking for a wife. So try to marry the daughter of Talmud Chacham, Gemara Pesachim. Not because she is so important, she's a little girl still, but because of her, you're going to be connected with her father. That's the way you'll be able to associate with him. Otherwise, when will you come into his house? When will you sit at his table? So become his son-in-law. It's not so easy, but you have to try. You have to exert yourself to marry the daughter of a Talmud Chacham. Of course. It wouldn't be a compliment to her if you tell her you're marrying her because of her father. But that's the truth. There are other reasons too. Could be she's quite a prize herself. But this is one of the more important reasons. That's your link with her father. And that's how you're going to cling to Hashem. There's other ways. Yasi Bitol bito chacham. If a man wants to join a talmid chacham to himself, so he can marry off his daughter to a chacham, to a good kolel man, so now your son-in-law will come to your house, and you'll be frequently in company with him. You'll talk with him. You'll eat with him. And now you're fulfilling the command of the Torah to cling to Hashem. Now we'll say also, I'm adding my own words to the Gemara, that a woman herself should try her best to marry the Talmud Chacham. If she can do it, it's wonderful, because that way she'll enjoy the company of a Talmud Chacham all of her life. Now, all these things—they're not merely good advice; it's that too, but it's a command. Whatever you can do to become close, look for opportunities. <speaking in Hebrew> to attempt to join them in every manner possible, Rambam Deus. as much as possible to walk with them, to ask them questions, to sit with them, even to eat with them. <speaking in Hebrew> He should attempt to eat together with them. The Rambam says this. You see a Chacham sitting somewhere at a Chasana or Pidyon Ben. It's a golden opportunity. There's a seat right next to him. Seize it. Snatch the opportunity. You're not interested in being there right now. You don't know the Baal Simcha. But act like you belong so. So that you can sit next to the Chacham for a few minutes and fulfill the mitzvah. Another way the Rambam says is to do business with them. Let's say he has merchandise to sell. So patronize him, walk into his store, look for opportunities to associate, even in a business way, with Chachamim. Try to become his supplier. Try to buy merchandise from him. Whatever you can do to associate with Chachamim, you should do. I cannot overemphasize the importance of this principle, physical proximity. Just to associate with Chachamim is a very great privilege because it's a form of closeness to Hashem. Now all that is well and good. It's excellent because it means that there are opportunities for all of us. Of course, if you live in a firm place in a yeshiva town, it's easier. But more or less, there are opportunities everywhere. And by all means, you should try to grab them. Don't worry about being an encumbrance. Don't worry that you're bothering the Chacham. Let's say the Sigit A very fine man, by the way. I know him personally. A very fine man. He's a busy man. He's learning all the time. He's answering Shailas too. But still, you want to fulfill the mitzvah of Ubo Tidbak. So you'll tell him, I heard Rabbi Miller speak, so I want to get close to you. He says, I don't have much time. So you'll say... Maybe I can carry your talus to your base medrash. Maybe I could do that for you. I don't need it, he says. I carry it myself. But you beg him, please, Rebbe, do me a favor. Let me carry your talus. So you're walking behind him. What are you doing? You're accomplishing a great achievement for yourself. I'm not a chossid, but I'm telling you, if you'll get that privilege to carry his talus, so you're now becoming closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, no question about it. I picked one person as an example. Baruch Hashem, we have Talmidei Chachamim today. We have Roshi Yeshivas. We have Yeshiva men. Exceptional Ko'yel Yungalite. Find ways and means of getting close to them. They don't have time to talk to you. But if you become useful to them in some way, you're mashamish Talmidei Chachamim. Hang around where they are. You have to know that it's a tremendous achievement. And therefore, don't worry about becoming an encumbrance. Let them tell you, Get away from here. You try your best to get close to them. Because it means you're coming closer to Akadish Baruch But right now, however, we want to talk about something else. Another method of Obotid Tidbak, Which is of the very great importance. We're not by any means minimizing the ideal that I mentioned until now. The method of coming close to Hashem by means of attaching yourself. Mine chibur, to the chachamim. I'm not going to belittle that by comparison. However, there is another very fruitful and even more accessible career for achieving closeness to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that brings us back to what we said in the beginning of our talk, that it's by means of a person's mind, his thoughts, that he can best fulfill this mitzvah. The Chayvah when he finishes the Shad Aichud, that's the opening Shad, he begins Shara HaBechina, the Shad of examining the world around us. And he says, there's a big Chiddush something that's important for our subject he tells us there that by looking at the world around us that's the best way to clarify to yourself the presence of hashem and to attach yourself to him now if the of Ava says that and he knows his subject so we have to pay attention he says that Berur it means to clarify it in your own mind his presence. That's the surest way. You want to feel that Hashem is right nearby. You want to be close to him. The ways we mentioned until now are excellent, absolutely. You fulfill the mitzvah of Ubo But the Chayvah says that this method of seeing his presence in the world around us, that's the way forward. Because if you are aware of Hashem wherever you are, if you see him wherever you go, so you're close to him, and so we have to get busy and embark on the lifelong career of looking around us and seeing signs of a Baruch Hu wherever we turn. Wherever we turn. Suppose, for example, you take a look in the street. There's a woman walking and a little boy is running after her. It's his mother. A little boy, two years old, is running. So instead of ignoring the whole thing, maybe you think, Didn't Rabbi Miller say something about utilizing everything that we see in nature to become close to Hashem? And so you start thinking, where was this boy three years ago? Three years ago, he was in the Atlantic Ocean. Chemically, that's the plain truth. After all, he's mostly water. 80% of the boy is water and the other 20% is air with a little bit of soil. Now, how did that combination of water and a little bit of air and soil come together to create a human body? A little boy is a perfect creation. He has ears and eyes and a mouth. He has teeth. He has legs. He has muscles. He jumps up and down. His heart is beating. He has kidneys. He has everything. How did such a complicated mechanism just come from the air and water? The answer is, once upon a time he was a tiny microscopic ovule and HaKadosh Baruch went into action and began creating that miracle of miracles, a human body. Nobody understands that. They can say fancy words, scientific words, but they can never explain it. How could they? It's a miracle. And so you're looking at a little boy and you see the hand of Hashem in the world. It's such a complicated matter that anybody who thinks into it can see Yad Hashem. Just with this proof alone, you can walk into the college and make a public protest. Shaitim! Fools! How is a person formed? Is it an accident? You have to be a lunatic to say that. Now this is something halacha l'ma'ase. I'm giving you homework now. Not merely listen to me and then go home and forget all about it. You should do it. Tomorrow morning, you'll be on the street and you'll look at one of your neighbors, look at one of your neighbors and think, let's say he's 35 years old. Where was he 36 years ago? He was in the vegetable bin, in the vegetable store. His mother ate potatoes and other things. And this beautiful creature came out with a mind and eyes. It's a nace. He was made from potatoes. Where do people come from? Only from what their parents ate. Can you take potatoes, bananas, milk, and meat and transform them into a person? Nisei nisim. And therefore, if you want to be close to Hashem, if you want to succeed in this program of Bechina, you have to train your eyes to do that. Every human being you see, you look at him and you're amazed at the handiwork of Hashem. And once is not enough. Every time we go out in the street, we have to use our minds, which HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave to us. And little by little, you learn how to recognize Hashem in this world. Now let's not stop here. Let's think a little bit more. This little boy on the street, imagine that he's eating a peach. Let's say his mother is coming out of the supermarket with a bag of peaches, and she gives one of them to her little boy. So you start thinking, Why is it that this little person becomes hungry? Suppose you have a car and you're running out of gas. You keep on going and you get stuck in the middle of the highway and everybody is honking. You're stuck. You have to get out on the highway and look for a telephone. But this little boy, when his body needs more gas, so he gives a signal to the brain and it's running out of materials. It's a signal that urges him to find food, to replenish his materials. Mommy! Can I have a peach, please, he says. That's a miracle. Next time you're hungry, think it over. Why are you hungry? It's an accident. Go into the colleges and say to the evolutionists, how did it happen that all living things, when they need food, they get hungry? I'll tell you why, it says. I know. I read their books and I know. They say it's like this. At first, they didn't have the sensation of hunger. Why should there be such a sensation? So it means like this, we'll take the evolutionists at their word, and so it means that there were animals or people, let's say, who at first, when they looked at food, were indifferent. Even though the body needed food, they didn't feel hungry at all. Others looked at the food when they were in need of calories, and it was even nauseating to them. They couldn't look at it at all. There were all kinds of people, all kinds of accidents. What happened? After let's say, thousands of generations. And of course, all the people during that time were being force-fed by the government. So they shouldn't die out because you couldn't rely on their instincts. The police had to come and put pipes down their throats to force them to eat. And in the meantime, while they were being forced to eat, they were having babies. Another accident, by the way. Oh, the mothers hated their babies, of course. In the beginning, all mothers hated the babies, Why should the mothers love babies? It's an accident that just happened. But meanwhile, the mothers who hated the babies, they died out. And the accident mothers, the ones who loved the babies, those are the ones who survived. And it just so happened that she was the one who accidentally also had the sensation of hunger when she needed replenishment of her materials. Of course, she met a man of the same kind too. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. So she was that kind. And the man was that kind too, and that's how they survived. Well, that's good for fools, for shaitim, but for us, it means only one thing. It means the hand of Hashem. And so, when we see somebody who wants to eat, and he goes into a store and buys food, we should stop and gaze at him. We are amazed. What's taking place here? Where did he get this wisdom of automatically feeling the necessity for replenishment of his resources? Did anybody tell him? Did a bell ring? Did a light go on over his head? Did a gauge somewhere have a needle and show him that the supply is running low? No, he feels it. And I'll add something more. Why does this little boy like peaches? Maybe he should like to eat dirt. Maybe he should like spoiled food. How is it that when something is rotten, putrid, he can't stand it? Why isn't that when somebody is hungry, he sees something rotten? Ah, that's delightful. Ah, the smell of a spoiled milk. It smells so good and rotten. He wants to dive right in and guzzle it down. Why is it that people run away from rotten food? There's an instinct in them to tell them it's dangerous. Is it an accident? The evolutionists say clearly it's a result of an accident. They say that there was a time when people and animals ate rotten things. They ate things that smelled bad, that looked bad. Instead of eating apples, they looked so appealing. They used to eat raw potatoes. They tried it for millions of years, and the raw potatoes didn't agree with them. So little by little, over millions of years, they began to acquire a new taste. Not for rotten things, for other things. Of course, it's stupid. It's nothing but Sheker V'Khazov. And so, those who walk in darkness, they see nothing. They're blind and they're leading the blind. And therefore, all they see is accidents. But the Am HaShem, those who want to fulfill the mitzvah of clinging to HaShem, they see just the opposite wherever they look. They see HaShem. And because of that, they're always looking for Him and always seeing Him. He's very close to them. Now, once you understand that there is a perfect intelligence, a Baire Oilam, who wants you to come close to him by means of his creations, so your eyes open up and you begin to see him on all sides. You see him on all sides. Of course, most people will just ignore this. When they go home, they'll forget all about it. It's just talk, they think. Ay, ay, ay. Is that a tragedy? It's a tragedy because this is the way. This is the best way to come close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Rambam says that. He says it's the most effective of all methods because the wisdom, the design is so clear that it demonstrates as openly as possible that there is a great designer. I once saw an article in that evolution magazine, The National Geographic. The National Geographic is devoted to evolution. There is one other thing that is devoted to, that I won't say in public. But primarily National Geographic is an Evolution magazine. So in the article I saw there was a heading like this. The infinite design in nature. Infinite design. You know what that means? It means that all of them are Yor De Gehenem. Because if you see infinite design, who is the infinite designer? You of all people, the ones who went to the universities and studied all the information about how complicated every natural thing is, you should be the first ones to recognize the hand of the Creator. And you are the ones who are preaching it happened by accident. Blind men! Liars! And therefore today, the world is being held responsible more than in previous generations. And us surely, especially, if you heard this lecture tonight, so a Baruch who holds us responsible. You should feel it's an obligation. We're expected to use our minds, to look around and say, yes, we recognize you, Rebona Shalaylam. We see you so clearly that we actually feel close to you. If you walk by a plot of grass today, a lawn, you shouldn't waste such an opportunity. Besides thinking how beautiful the color is, How green is so soft on the eyes and how it's such a nice thing to roll yourself in the grass if you're a child. But you're also thinking how the grass refreshes the atmosphere and how it holds the soil together so the topsoil shouldn't blow away. So you're already seeing the Yad Hashem in the grass. Now if you want to do it right, you won't stop there. You're thinking now about how HaKadosh Baruch Hu planted grass all over the world as food for the grazing animals. For sheep and for cows. And the cow uses that grass to produce milk. Milk from grass. Yes, from grass and water a cow produces milk. And cream and butter and cheese. And that's what milk is. Grass and water. Can you make cream and cheese or even milk from grass and water? If you did, you'd get a patent and you'd become a millionaire overnight. But the cow has it. He has that patent of taking grass and making it into all of these ingredients that we eat and enjoy. Now look at your wool suit. You're dressed in grass. What? It's not grass, it's wool. A sheep eats grass and turns it into wool. That's a tremendous procedure. It takes grass to chop it up until it's shiny, and change the chemicals around and the molecules around in such a way that now it comes out in the form of wool on the sheep's back instead of grass. Grass should grow on the sheep's back. If he eats grass, grass should grow on the back, not wool. A tremendous thing. You have to realize it's a miracle. You heard this before. You know all about it. You have to hear it a thousand more times to appreciate the tremendous nace. And hearing it is not enough. You have to do something about it. You have to study creation and see the creator all the time. You look at a man and he has two eyes over here by his head. But there is not just eyes. Just two holes in your head so that your brain can see out. It's a marvelous contraption, the eye. Two perfect color cameras that can focus for distant scenes and for close scenes. Immediately they can change focus from far off to close by. And they're taking pictures every second. And how would they take pictures? It's a real camera. Instead, there's a dark chamber. And inside, there's a negative in which that picture registers. And these nerves in the retina bring the picture to the brain. Two such perfect cameras that are unmatched. Nobody in the world has manufactured cameras that work as efficiently as these two eyes. So it means that every time you look at someone's eyes, you're reminded of the Creator. You're walking on the street and you see your neighbors coming towards you. Look at his eyes. They are demonstrating there's a plan and purpose in the world. They are demonstrating that Akalash Baruch, who is right here, it's his handiwork after all. As open as can be, we see the Yad Hashem in the world. And it's with no end. It's crowding in on you from all sides. You walk outside and you see the leaves on the trees. If you know something, a little bit about science, you know how complicated a leaf is. It's amazing how complicated a leaf is. A leaf is a whole block of factories. It breathes in carbon dioxide from the air. It breathes in moisture from the air. And it takes in sunshine too. And it takes together all of these things and it needs it together and it makes out of it materials. Yes, the leaf is making materials. There's machinery, microscopic machinery in every leaf that's producing material. And then it sends the juicy materials through tiny little channels to the stem of the leaf and into the branch of the tree. It goes into the trunk and it becomes wood. It becomes root. It becomes leaves again. And eventually it makes blossoms with nectar to attract the bees in order to pollinate the plants. And then a fruit grows. And that's the work of the leaf. Now the leaf is spread out. The leaves on a tree are thin, very thin, but they want to cover as much space as possible. If you take all the leaves on one tree, it will cover an entire city block. Imagine you have a breathing space in contact with the air, a whole city block. You see the tree is doing tremendous work, and every leaf is like that. Every leaf is in contact with the air. That's why some leaves have irregular circumferences. They're not round and smooth, but irregular. An irregular shape, in and out. Why is it in and out? Because the end of the leaf has holes in it where it breathes in and out. It's like a bay. When the land goes in and out, there's more shore. And therefore, when you have irregular shapes of the leaf, the more opportunity for the leaf to function, to breathe. And so, When people begin using their eyes to see all around them, the wonders that are speaking to us, their minds will open up. The purpose of everything is to let us come close to Hashem. Only we have to be stubborn and utilize those things around us. Don't wait for an ace. We have to study the nisim that come every day and our eyes will open up. And we will recognize HaKadosh Baruch Hu from the midst of his creations. And it's waiting for the people who are willing to invest a little bit of time. And if you will think five minutes a day, then these secrets will begin to become apparent to you. And it's going to change your life. If you'll do it. Now if you'll do it, your lives will be different. Because you'll begin to see that there's no way out except to recognize that the Yad Hashem in the world is everywhere. It's The world is full of his glory. Wherever you look, you see his nisim and niflays everywhere. And we have to marvel at it. Always to be excited, never to be deadened by insensitivity because of habit. Not to listen to the foolishness of the world. Not to be stampeded by the herd of silly unthinking animals all around us. We must be stubborn in our clarity of logic. And always remind ourselves of Nisim and Niflois around us. And that's how we, all of the same people, who want to be close to Hashem, if we apply our minds, will arrive at the realization that we're looking at Hashem almost as if we see him. He's right here. He's just around the corner. And that's an important part of our career of coming close to our Khalaj Baruch. Hu. Of course. We never forget the first explanation, the obligation to come close to the tzaddikim, the Talmidei Chachamim, where the Shekhinah rests more than anywhere else. But at the same time, we come close to the Shekhinah by means of thinking about him and seeing him in the world around us. And those people who embark on this career in life are going to be rewarded in many ways. They're going to gain a firmness of conviction that nothing in the world can shake. They are Maminim on which they can build their entire future career of happiness. And in addition to that, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will say to them, because you strove to come close to me in this world, to see me as much as you could, so I'm going to reward you when the time comes. Lachatzot binoam Hashem. You will gaze at the sweetness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and enjoy the splendor of His Shechina. That's the real Dveikas, and that's the real happiness. Because od vechedva bimkomo, in his place, there's strength and joy. Where Hashem is, that's the greatest happiness. And the ones who came close to him in this world, those are the ones who will be together with him forever. Forever and ever you'll travel together with the roi chev the one who rides in the clouds. And you'll enjoy the ride. Even more than if you would ride, let's say, in a stratosphere plane and go to visit far-off celestial worlds. All that is nothing compared to the great ride in eternity at the side of Akadosh Baruch Hu, because you fulfilled vidav Kabo. Your nefesh will be tzrudu b'tzror hachaim, in the bond of everlasting life with Hashem. Forever and ever, you'll continue. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Let's get practical. Clinging every day. This week I will focus on fulfilling the mitzvah of and you should cling to Hashem by means of both ways that we learned tonight. Every day I will be look for one opportunity to become physically close to a Talmud Chacham. Even if it's in the slightest way, for example, just to sit near him, I will do it and I will have in mind that I am fulfilling the mitzvah of becoming close to Hashem. Also, I will, believe spend five minutes every day looking closely at Hashem's creations and study them carefully until I can actually feel the closeness of the presence of Hashem. And I will keep in mind that I am fulfilling the mitzvah of Ubo Tidbak.